Ready to try this? Third John. I think we'll just read the whole, the whole thing and then we'll come back to it. How's that? You want to try that? It starts out, it says, the elder. So that's who it's from. To my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend. Well, we've been seeing it. John has been saying that, dear friend. I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. That's a great greeting, isn't it? Maybe we should add that greeting when we see each other. <laughs> I pray that you might enjoy good health and that all might go well with you, as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they're strangers to you. They've told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. <clears throat> Give them a big offering is what that means. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought to therefore show hospitality to such people, so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote the church, but Theotrephes, who loves to be first, he won't welcome us. So when I come, I'll call attention to what he's doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who, who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and as you know, our testimony is true. I have much to write you, but I don't want to do it with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon. We'll talk face to face, or through Zoom. <laughs> Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. And so uh, the designation of believers as friends. And we said uh, a couple of weeks ago that there's a Christian group of people who call themselves the friends. They're connected to the Quakers, and they call themselves friends. And they have their friends meeting house. They meet together as friends. So is there no... Um, nothing there, huh? Okay, so um, <clears throat> we're going to look at, in this here, it's divided between safe people and unsafe people. So where is, here's the question for us, where is the most dangerous place in America? Detroit? Detroit? <laughs> where? Chicago? What? What was that? You know what the most dangerous place in the United States is? Is your home. Your home is the most dangerous place. 40% uh, of police officers who lose their lives lose their lives when they're answering domestics. So what's a domestic? A domestic is when something's going on in your house and they call the police to calm your family down. To calm your family down. And so... Uh, 
if the home is dangerous, you shouldn't assume that people who live in homes and then people who are part of churches, that they're not dangerous as well, right? People are dangerous. And so John is going to write about safe people and he's going to write about dangerous people. And there are dangerous people in our homes and there are dangerous people in the church. So um, there's actually, in this passage, there's actually four people that we're going to look at. There's John, the writer of the letter. There's Gaius, whom it's addressed to. There's Diophrates. I can't even say his name. What will we call him? Let's call him Dion, all right? <laughs> Diotrephes, who he likes to be first. And then there's Demetrius, who he's a good guy. And maybe there's five if we include ourselves as the viewers. And uh, we would, maybe you could call this three good guys and, and one bad apple. But uh, it's the good guys and the bad guys, the safe people and the, and the unsafe people. And if you look at this letter, there's something that's missing, something that's obviously missing from this letter. Anybody can see what it is as you go through it? You know what's missing is the name of Jesus. Jesus isn't talked about in this, um, this letter. <clears throat> this letter is actually the correspondence between two church leaders. So we get to go behind the scenes and see what do those church leaders talk about when they're together? You ever see two church leaders together? What are they talking about? And then they have staff meetings. What are they talking about? Well, they're probably talking about the kinds of things that these guys are talking about. They're talking about trouble that's going on and troubled people and people that are giving people grief and people who are taking the name of God and confusing it in the eyes of people. Because these guys are church leaders, and some of these church leaders are presenting a distorted image of God and who God is. So we're getting to eavesdrop on their email. We're getting to eavesdrop into their meeting. We're kind of like the NSA. Anybody know what the NSA is? National Security Agency? You know, what was it, like two years ago they said that these guys had spied on like 188 million Americans or something like that? <laughs> and so here we are, we're like the NSA, we are involved, we're reading people's emails, we are eavesdropping on them. It's kind of like the guy, did you hear about this guy? This guy that walked into the NSA, and he said, hey, do you want to hear a joke? And they said, no, thanks, we already heard it. So uh, <laughs> you groan, you groan, but you will tell it. <laughs> so you're being listened to. What's new? So um, <clears throat> there's the friends, there's the people. Um, what safe people look like? their qualities, their traits, and their characteristics. Um, what can you learn about safe people? Because John is safe. Gaius is safe. Demetrius is safe. And so um, the first thing that you see is that safe people are friends. <laughs> friends. Um, you're supposed to be able to depend upon a friend. In fact, Proverbs tells us that Sometimes it's better to have friends than even family because friends are close to you and sometimes family is far away. And so it's good to have friends and it's good to have trustworthy friends. It's a terrible thing when you have a friend who you think is a friend who turns out to not be a friend, right? 
And so the Bible speaks frequently of safe relationships between people. Uh, the, I, I love the way the King James says, it says, the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. So um, what's a friend? A, a person whom one knows, who likes and trusts you. A person with whom is, is allied in a struggle or a cause. One who supports or sympathizes with you. It's good to have friends. And John addresses several of these people as dear friends. Frequently he says that, dear friends. But John also is not afraid to call people out and to name people. Now that's kind of interesting. You imagine if we were naming people, maybe we should name people. The safe people and the not so safe people. Uh, some people say that a dog is a man's best friend. <laughs> is that true? It might be, because dogs have qualities that a lot of our human friends don't. Emily Dickerson said that, that dogs are better than human beings because they know what's going on, but they don't tell. <laughs> and dogs... Dogs, as opposed to human friends, dogs never talk about themselves, but they sit there and they listen to you while you talk about yourself, and they keep up the appearance that they're interested in the conversation. <laughs> so, so maybe, in fact, uh, maybe, in fact, they are. Who knows? But um, there was a study at Duke University about friends, and they said that the number of of people who say that they have close friends is they say they have two close friends. Two close friends. And that's, that's being reduced even more. Friends are a real commodity these days. People you can trust, people who won't turn on you. Part of the reason for declining friendships is just the world that we live in. Um, part of the reason is increasing distance between our three major circles where we sleep, where we work, and where we shop. And sometimes there's just a great distance. You know, if you have two people commuting in a family, sometimes they're going 30 miles in each direction. They're separated by 50 or 60 miles in the course of a day. I had an experience, you might have heard me share this before, that I was in a grocery store line, and there was a couple in front of me, and the lady that was checking us out was talking to, to the lady, and then she was talking to the guy. And then she actually said, Do you, guys, you guys know each other. And they said, we're married. Like it's, it's amazing that you can have relationships where you know the wife or you know the husband, but you don't, even know, you don't even know that they're married. Don't even know that they're married. The distance that's created in our society is making it more and more difficult to keep up friendships. Friendships are work. They're work. Um, and so... God created people in his image. What's the first thing that you learn about God? God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when we were doing Genesis, we kept trying to drive this home that that word God is Elohim. It's God plural, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. And in, in, in that plurality, the three in one, there's absolute completeness. There's companionship. There's friendship. There's love. There's all of those things Jesus talked about loving, the Father loving Jesus with the love that they had before the creation of the universe. And God made us in his image. God made us relational. Made us relational. And we're going to find ultimate fulfillment and purpose in life 
when we have truthful, open, compassionate relationships in our lives. So what else do we learn from this letter? Well, in this case, they're both believers. John is writing to another believer. He's writing to another church leader. Now keep in mind that these churches are probably small home churches. If you go to Israel today, they'll bring you into some ancient homes and reconstructed ancient homes. And there's no home that's as big as this room. There's no such thing as a home that's that, that is that big. In fact, in those homes, if you had four children, they're probably all in the same room, sleeping in the same room. It might be that you only had one room and everybody slept in those rooms. Though the houses were small and, and the fellowships were probably small. And so these guys are pastors or church leaders. Pastors are shepherds. They were watching over these little flocks. And as you go through the New Testament, you can see that John had his little circuit where he went and visited these flocks. And Paul had, had one. Paul's is more defined because the book of Acts follows Paul. But a lot of those fellowships are small fellowships. They're not, they're not huge. They're not mega churches. They're, they're small fellowships. And, and there's something about having another believer as a friend that makes it possible to talk on a deep level. And these guys are talking to each other on a deep level about the thing that's happening in those small home fellowships, those young small fellowships. So um, relationship is mutual concern. They're concerned with each other. You see, John writes to the guy, and the first thing he says is, I'm concerned with you. I'm concerned with you. <laughs> we, have, we have something similar that we say. John said it this way. I pray that you might enjoy good health and that all might go well with you, even as your soul is getting along. And we have a saying we ask each other, hey, how you doing? What do you say when somebody says, how you doing? Good, 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 good. Um, well, are you really concerned? Try this when I do this every once in a while. Somebody says, hey, how you doing? I go, oh, miserable, man, terrible. This is the worst I've ever been doing. Like, I can't believe. Thanks for asking. You know, and people are like, no, you know, like, <laughs> and I really want to know. There's no mutual concern there. It's just a saying. It's just a phrase. It's just something that we do. Well, John and Gaius are concerned with each other. They're concerned with each other's well-being, their total well-being. They're concerned with each other's health. They're concerned with each other's spiritual life. They're concerned with, with how they're getting along in the world. They're concerned with, the, with their, their whole life. So friendship is something that involves mutual concern. Somebody said that a friend doubles our joy and halves our sorrow. A guy that started Youth for Christ, he said, my goal in life, he said, my goal in life is that at my funeral to have six people who are not looking at their watch waiting for it to end. Well, it's a, it's a tough thing to do. It's a tough thing to get six people that care about you. Speaking of funerals, usually if I have a jacket on, it's because I did a funeral in the last week or so. I did one this Tuesday. I did one for Ian Poudret. Ian is the son of Steve Poudret. You heard us for the last couple of years talking about Lebanon. And, you know, we, we went to Lebanon to this church that had 
eight people and had had eight people for eight years, it seems like, and uh, no worship leaders, no children's program, no technology. And, and we went there to try to, to reach the area and to try to turn it around. Well, it's turned around. They have three worship teams. They have children's curriculum. They have technology. Um, they have a pastor. And, and they, they're on their own. They, they, they are on, they're on their own. And, and just a week or so after they did that, Steve, who his son was 30 years old, living with him at home, he went upstairs and his son was dead. 30 years old. Now, Steve had a son and a daughter. And his daughter, when she was 22 years old, died of an aneurysm. So we're praying for that family. I mean, they're just like, they're just like going through it. They are going through it. And uh, I actually, the tie, I was going to wear it this morning. I should have worn it because people were wearing tie-dyes because Ian, although he was 30, he liked all the tie-dye music. So um, gave an invitation there and uh, had at least 10 responses. You know, I had people, you know, put their heads down and then look up at me. And at 10, there were, there were way more than 10. I just had to stop counting because at 10, this lady, I said, if you, if you prayed with me, I prayed this prayer and then I prayed it again. And I said, if you prayed with me, you know, put up your, your head. And heads started popping up, boom, 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 all over the place. And one lady in the back, she said, I prayed, I just prayed, I prayed. <laughs> I thought, man, people are, people are wanting to get saved here. And so I couldn't count anymore after that. I lost my count with what she was doing. Um, but friends, so friends... You know, relationships of mutual concern. They care about each other. They care about what's, what's going on. Um, you know, safe people, safe people are friends, but safe people are always growing. This is one of the byproducts and one of the benefits of being born again is that when you're born again, you start growing again for the rest of your life. And many of us know this. Do you have high school friends that you've reconnected with? And a lot of people have reconnected with high school friends through social media, people they haven't seen in years, and now they're reconnecting and they're talking. And, and what I find is that, um, not exclusively, but I find that there's enough there to say that it seems to be a pattern that the, the friends of old that I know who haven't come to Christ, are, a lot of them are still kind of in the same place. You know, they're kind of doing the same things, you know, thinking about the same old things. And the Christian people, like, there's always something new, always something new happening, learning something new, growing. Things are changing, you know, experimenting with, the, with this thing, meeting new people. The great thing about becoming a Christian is if you don't have very many friends, you then, then you start meeting more people. <laughs> because people are getting born again all the time. You know, in this room, you know, people are getting born again. And they become your friends. They become your companions. And so safe people are always growing. They're not just staying in the same place. When you stay in the same place for too long, you start to become protective of that place. You start to become protective of those things. You don't want to lose those things. So you want to have so many things that you can't even keep up with them. So if somebody comes and takes them, you're like, good. Yeah, I had too much to do anyway. This guy that we're going to see here, he's holding on to everything. He's totally controlling everything. Diotrephes, 
holding on to everything. He's a controlling guy. He doesn't want anybody else to mess with it. We'll get to him in a minute. So it's a journey, and safe people are always growing. When John says, you know, I pray that you're doing good, he said, I pray that your body's doing well. I pray that your soul is doing well. I pray that you're doing well. Body, soul, and spirit, balanced people growing, growing all the time. And um, the, the next thing you find out is that safe people are connected to other people. They're connected to other people. In the Christian world, a lot of people talk about accountability. Uh, I believe in accountability. But, but accountability is only accountability if you're willing to be accountable. And you can say you're accountable, but you can be living a dual life. And you can get in accountable relationships. I know people have been in accountable relationships that have been living a double life. But, but when you're connected to people and you're connected to people in honesty, then your friends tell you when something's going on. They're not afraid to tell you. Maybe they are afraid to tell you. But because they love you, they will tell you. And maybe they'll find an interesting way to tell you. <laughs> but they'll tell you. They'll tell you. Um, so let's just move on here. Gaius, um, safe people connected to other people. Uh, Gaius is faithful, predictable, and dependable. Anybody ever been here to Old Faithful? Stinks, doesn't it? <laughs> it's... it's it, it smells there. <laughs> but it's faithful. It'll come up. It'll do it. And so some of us are predictable. And we need to have faithfulness that people can depend on. John and Gaius could depend on each other. They were faithful. Gaius was one of those let your yay be yay and your nay be nay kind of a guy. And so isn't John. Being faithful. And so there's safe people and there's characteristics of safe people. And John and Gaius are safe people. Um, what, what, what else do you know about safe people? Safe people are infectious. <clears> that <throat> you get around them and you like to be around them because they're safe. You'll come and you'll, ha you'll, hang, you'll hang around with them. And they're also givers. They're, they're infectious and they're givers. One of my... Um, uh, I love this thing about infectious. One of my mentors used to say about spiritual growth, about life, about all of those things, that, that the disease is easier caught than taught. What did he mean by that? Like, get around people who are doing it. You want to be a safe person? Get around people that are safe. Get around people. Because the disease is uh, easier caught than taught. You can talk about it but you can teach it by being around people. And safe people, in verse 5 and 6 here, watch this. Dear friends, you're faithful in what you're doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they're strangers to you. So what happened in the early church was that when John and Paul would go around and start these little fellowships, you can follow the circles. Their circles get bigger. They go out and they start this circle, and the Apostle Paul does that on his first missionary journey, starts a circle and when he circles back, he goes and visits those places that he went to. Then his circle gets a little bit bigger. And he brings people. He goes back to his home church, picks up people in his home church, and goes back to that circle again, visits those places, 
the circle gets bigger and he picks up people there and is dropping them off. So picking up and dropping off and the circle is getting bigger. In his third missionary journey, same thing. The circle is getting bigger and the number of people involved are more. And dropping them off. And this circle ends up becoming a circuit for Paul's circle, for John's circuit. And these people would just sort of go around in these circuits to these home fellowships, to these small fellowships all throughout the Mediterranean circle. And so when they're going, they're depositing something. They're leaving something. You see, I have, I have no greater joy to hear my children working in the truth. But dear friend, verse 5, you're faithful in what you're doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they were strangers to you. So people that were in John's sort of circuit, John was sending them to those places and they were receiving them. And they were teaching. Maybe they were teachers. Maybe they were prophets. Maybe they were evangelists, you know, helping people come to Christ or teaching people how to lead people to Christ, or maybe they were prophets talking about, you know, what's going on right now and how we need to be responding, or maybe they're teachers teaching people the Bible. But they didn't know who they were, but they knew they were connected to John, and so they'd receive them. They'd receive them. And it said, they've told the church about your love, so they had a great experience when they were there. Please send them on their way in a manner that, that honors God. And there, I believe that what he's saying is give them a big offering. You know, give them some cash. Like these guys are going out on their own. They're going out in the name of the Lord. So be generous to them. And so safe people are infectious, but they're also givers. They're also imparting into people. They're always depositing into people. If you deposit into people, you know what? You'll actually get an ROI. You'll get a return on that investment. I guarantee you you get a return on that investment. One of the, the first things that the guy that led me to Christ told me was, you can't outgive God. God is not going to be your debtor. If you think you're going to outgive God, you've got another thing coming because he will not be your debtor. So they were generous. They were always depositing in people. Safe people deposit in people. Unsafe people take out of you. Safe people deposit into others. And so these guys are safe. There's these safe people. Um, But there's unsafe people. Want to look at the unsafe guy? Ready to do that? And we probably should do an inventory and see who we are. Am I safe or am I unsafe? Because whatever is in Dion. (laughs) But then I don't know. There might be a Dion in the room, so I don't want to do that to you. So I wrote to the church. Diotrephes, who loves to be first. Well, probably don't need me to comment on that one. He loves to be first. And he loves everything that comes along with being first. He will not welcome us. Well, you see, Gaius, they were welcoming all of the people who were coming around and they were welcoming them with joy. And when they left and they went back to wherever they went back to, Tennessee or California or Oregon or Wisconsin or wherever they went, when they went back, they said, man, those guys were like amazing. Like it was amazing how loving that church was. Man, I went there. I felt like I, I, felt like I could have stayed there. I just felt the love. And man, they were generous to me. They were good to me. Well, not so this other guy. You see, he wants to be first and he won't welcome anybody. 
He doesn't want anybody in his sphere. He's got his little thing, and he's going to hold on to it, and he's going to get rid of anybody that tries to come into it. John said, so when I come, I'll call attention to what he's doing. He said it today, he'd say, I'm going to call him out. I'm going to call that guy out. Because he spreads malicious nonsense about us. He's unsafe. He's unsafe. He, um, he had to be first. There's no room for sharing of the task. There's no room for sharing the responsibility. There's no room for sharing the position. And there's certainly no room for sharing the credit. Well, what happens if you share the credit? If you share the credit, then people think that those people did it. You know, I know a lot of people, safe people, who I've heard them give credit to, to people on their team, and I sit there and go, they didn't do that, he did. He did it, and then he just gave all the credit to them. Well, that's good. That's a safe person. You know, he's just always giving credit to others. And if you give credit to others, you know what? God's going to give you something to do. But this guy, he couldn't share anything. He couldn't share anything at all. He He's ambitious for distinction. He wants to be distinguished. There's no room for you. It's his thing. He's, he's an excluder. He's a divider. In the Bible, warns you about divisive people. It tells you to stay away from divisive people. It says, warn them a few times and then get out of there. Get out of there. Because... Divisive people are not trying to solve problems with their judgments, their declarations, and their observations. Look, John and Gaius here, they're doing all three of those. Judgments, declarations, and observations. But they're doing it to try to solve problems <clears throat> and to try to bless people and to try to help people. But controlling people all of their judgments, all of their declarations, all of their observations are not for the benefit of others. They're to try to keep themselves in their place. And in fact, many times people like this, these unsafe people, are trying to get you away from the people that bring balance into your life so that they can have a colleague in their own corruption. Like keep, keep good things away from you. Well, Get away while you can. Get as far away from that as you can, as quickly as you can. Unfortunately, sometimes the right thing to do is to just point out what unsafe people are doing, like John said in verse 10. Spreading malicious nonsense about us. Maybe we should get that phrase into our vocabulary. Malicious nonsense. <laughs> hey, I heard somebody say, oh, they have a bunch of malicious nonsense. <clears throat> Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. And he also wa wants to stop those who want to do so and put some out of the church. <clears throat> this guy is totally controlling. Controlling people's lives with everything that they do. Um, and John, uh, the apostle, he's not going to put up with it. He's not going to put up with it. Unsafe people try, and, and, uh, unsafe people try and to, to keep safe people away from you. 
So safe people aren't defined as spiritual or unspiritual, but by what they do. Again, all you have to do is look at what they are doing. So John, we're going to do this real quick, and then we're going to come to where's the gospel application in this? There should be a gospel application in every book, I would think. John is writing about church leadership. Safe and unsafe, but he's writing in the context of church leadership. And those principles are universal. They'll work anywhere. But it's church leadership here that he's discussing. And the definition of leadership is what? It's just simply influence. It's influence. Um, a power affecting a person, thing, or course of events, especially one that operates without any direct or apparent effort. It's just sort of there. And so both the safe and the unsafe people are offering leadership, showing the way to go. I love the way in Israel, because their army is so small and because they have so many enemies all around them, they've created uh, a, a military concept that they call cells. And with a cell, they get 12, 12 soldiers, male and female soldiers. And each one of those cells has somebody who's the point person of that cell. So you have your little cell and you have your, your little 10 or 12, and you are in command. And the way that you're in command is you don't sit there and tell people, you go over there, you go over there, you go over there, you do this. The way that you leave your cell is you go first. You go first. And as you go first, they follow you and they help you with what it is that you're doing, but you go first. And if you fall out, the next guy comes in and he goes first and everybody helps that thing happen. So leadership is going first. It's showing the way. And Jesus taught this. Paul taught this. Um, leadership by example, to guide or direct the course. Well, they're both giving examples of leadership because they're both leading. They both have a flock. They both have things they're responsible for, but it's different kinds of leadership. One is inspiring and the other one is controlling. And so the simple definition is that it's influence. And um, here's some appropriate godly leadership things you can learn from here, is that you want to build around love, friendship, and unity. That's what John is doing. He's writing to his friend, my dear friend, you know, I love you, hope you're doing well. John's trying to bring unity. John is sending people out. John is depositing in people. John is giving other people credit. John is seeing the thing explode. He's seeing people develop. Don't you think that when John sent some of these people out, he probably was like, Oh, man, <laughs> I can't believe it. I heard Chuck Smith one time. He had a radio station in Southern California, and he had all these, you know, all these young guys um, on the radio. And he said, sometimes I'd be riding down the road, and I'd be listening to these guys on the radio. He said, and I'd be thinking, oh, no. <laughs> you know, like, no, don't say that. Don't go there. But you let them go. Let them go. They'll get it. It's built around unity. It's built around friendship. It's built around the right priorities. Uh, it, it, it delights in people, and it delights in people growing. Well, that's not what the unsafe leadership is doing. What they're doing is trying to consolidate more power, consolidate more attention to themselves. So delighting in people growing. Um, humility uh, cooperates with the whole church. You see... 
John and Paul, they, they understood church with a, with a big C. They also understood church with a small C. You know, church with a big C is a universal church. You know, the church that was existing in the first century, the church that exists today. And you need to get a good view of that, that there's the church with a big C, that it's universal. Nobody's ever seen it. It's everywhere. All the continents, the, the different languages. But there's also church with a small c. Well, which one should you honor more? No, you shouldn't honor either one of them more. You should certainly honor the church with a small c. These small fellowships, they should be, they should be honored. They should be accepted for what they are. And so the, the big c as well. So it cooperates with the whole church. The small c's cooperate with the big c. Committed to world evangelization. That's what John and Paul are trying to do. John and Paul have left their home, they have left the place of safety, and they are going out and this thing is spreading. Well, the unsafe leadership is going to stop the spread of the gospel, going to stop it right there, and they're going to consolidate everything to themselves, all the time, all the money, all the resources, all the stuff, they're going to take it to themselves. And John and Paul, they're going to spread it out. And so safe people or a safe church spreads it out, spreads it out. Each locality reaches out beyond its own locality. And how do you do that? You do it by sending your best. Seems to be a risky proposition to send your best. Why would you send your best? Like, keep your best, send your best. There was a group of missionaries. They had a 100-year prayer meeting. They were called the Moravians. And the Moravians pretty much evangelized the Mosquito Coast uh, along Central America and the Caribbean. The Moravians tithe their people. Tithe means tenth. Did you know that? People think tithe means just giving. No, tithe means tenth. That's what it means. And so they would tithe their people. So they would look out of every ten people, they would look for one person to actually send. Send those people out. And one of the things that the Moravians did, because they were... Uh, living in the 1700s, 1800s, trying to evangelize their little section of the globe that they took, the Mosquito Coast, along Central America, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, um, the Caribbean. The Caribbean was a hotbed of whole, wholesale for slavery. In the islands there, that's where they'd wholesale out the slaves. They'd go from Europe, they'd go to Africa, they'd get the slaves, they'd bring them to the Caribbean, and from the Caribbean, they'd wholesale them out to all of these other places that they were going. And so the Moravians wanted to reach the people that were being enslaved, and some of the Moravians actually sold themselves into slavery in order to minister to the slave population. Wow. Talk about commitment. Well, commitment to what? Commitment to Jesus, commitment to world evangelization, commitment to giving their best and even selling themselves into slavery, coming alongside those who are doing it, cooperating with the larger groups. That's what you're supposed to be doing. John is trying to encourage them to, to help the larger groups, cooperate with the larger groups, cooperate with what's going on, become part of that. Now you have a small C, you have a home fellowship, get involved with that home fellowship, love one another, learn, grow, have potlucks, have friends, do all that, but be committed to the larger thing. And when these people come through that are committed to the larger thing, support them, get behind them, give them money, give them prayers, give them love, make them want to come back there. Make them want to tell their friends, you know, you should go there. Well, why should I go there? Because if you go there, they'll be really nice to you. They will take care of you. They will watch over you. They'll pray for you. They'll send you on your way and then they'll stick with you and they'll follow up with you. 
Well, where are they going to get the resources to do that? God will give the resources. And so they're dependent on God's provision. Verse 8. We ought to therefore show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. Working together for the truth. Interdependent with body and gifts. You see, the unsafe leadership was taking everything to themselves and getting rid of all of the gifts that could be given to them. I have a strange view of gifts of the Spirit in that I think that individuals have gifts of the Spirit, but I think movements and denominations have particular gifts as well. You know, some movements are just given to evangelism. Some are just given to justice. Some are just given to, to the poor. Some are just given to teaching. And, and I, I think that each of them can learn from each other and take from each other. We should be interdependent. You know, do what we're doing in the small sea, but man, the big sea has, has an awful lot to offer us. Uh, appropriate godly leadership, safe leadership. It's not di dictatorial. It's not arrogant. It's not divisive. It does what's good. It leads by example. And it's well spoken of. That's what it says in verse 12. Demetrius, there's another one of the good guys. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, even by the truth himself. And we also speak well of him. And you know that our testimony is true. I have much more that I want to write to you. Peace to the friends. So, where's the gospel in this? Because the name of Jesus isn't in there. So, where's the gospel? Where do you find the gospel in the midst of it? These little fellowships all across the planet, it's still going on all across the planet, God is not always properly represented or portrayed in them. And in the early church, if we can learn anything from the early church, from the young church, from the primitive church, is that even then, in their house churches, they were not always properly representing or portraying God. And the fact is that when you don't properly represent or portray God, it gets people confused and moves them away from God. So what would they think? if they were familiar with the fellowship, with the unsafe leadership, they would think that God is grumpy, that God is controlling, that all God wants to do is take things from you, that all he does is want things from you, and that you need to be part of this little circle and no more, and no more, just us, and no more. And you would get yourself into, and this is quite a danger, and there's a danger right now. So I'm not a prophet, but I can tell you prophetically that the danger right now is that there is being created in the church of Jesus Christ a us-them mentality that I haven't seen in my 40 years of ministry. Where, where thems, and, and those, the thems aren't only the ones outside of the church, it's also the ones in the church. Now it's becoming a division within the church. The us and them. And man, it is deadly. And it will stop the forward spread of the gospel like that. It will shut it right down. And so, uh, not properly represented. What would you see if you went to that church then? 
you would see what you can go and see other places. We need to turn around who we are and to act differently because God is not being properly represented. He is here being represented as controlling, grumpy. It's just us. We don't let anybody else in. The church of Jesus Christ, the influence and the example of the church of Jesus Christ is one that washes feet. Not one that's controlling. I love Jesus. He's got all these followers and he says to them, you know, you guys are just following me because of the because of the food, you know, you, you know, if you don't want to follow, you don't need to follow. Now, what church leader have you ever heard say that? You're coming in a Sunday morning and he says, yeah, if you guys don't want to come here, don't come here. Make no difference to me, you know, whatever you do, you're free, you're free human beings, go do what you want to do. Um, <clears throat> so this freedom, this freedom that's offered, washing the feet or controlling, excluding or demeaning, selfless or selfless. What are we going to be? Who are we? Are we the ones who wash the feet? Here's the thing. Play with this one this week. That God is in control. But he's not controlling. If he was controlling, you'd be doing every single thing he wants you to do because he would make you do it. You would be like a robot and he would control your arm movements. Be like, why is my arm moving that way? Because God is moving. I don't want him to move my arm that way. <laughs> he, he is in control of his universe. But somehow the paradox of God, and you can't figure this out with your head, your head will explode, is that God is in control, but he's not controlling. And God, God wants us to have free will, and he wants us to choose, and he wants us to choose to wash feet. And he wants us to choose to portray who he is. He wants people to come back home. That's what he wants. And John is trying to create an atmosphere where people can come back home where it's safe. And when they get there, they can grow. And when they grow, they can give. And when they give, they can meet new people. And when they meet new people, they can send out their very best. And they can meet people that are coming through and they can send them on their way. And they can know that, they can parti- that they're participating in the evangelization of the earth. When we were doing this ministry out of here, we started it, <clears throat> I am International Association of Missions, which became for the Vineyard Christian Fellowships around the campus, started here, actually became the whole model for their, for, for their missions. We used to say that um, you can't really send missionaries, you can just lend them. And so you lend them to the nations. And we should be finding people that we can lend, people who will go, Moravians who will sell themselves into slavery and get behind them. So that we can say that we are participating in that. We are doing that. What we wanted to be able to say in I Am was that we, we had 10 churches. We wanted them all to be able to say we are planting churches in Spain. Whether they gave a lot or gave a little, we are doing it together. And John is creating that opportunity for all of us to be in a safe environment to evangelize the entire planet um, before Jesus returns. So uh, let's close with a prayer and close with a song. And, um, so Lord, um, we would like to be safe. 
We would like to give freely. We would like to participate in what you're doing with ministers and ministries locally, regionally, around the planet. And so, Lord, that prayer of Jabez, extend our tent. Lord, we can give more, we can serve more, we can get behind more. And Lord, we know that the more, the, the more that we give, the more you'll give to us. So may the Lord take your life and use your life. May you be participating in the harvest. Jesus said, open your eyes, the fields are white unto harvest. And Lord, would you keep us from being a divisive people? Lord, would you keep us from being in us and them? Lord, would you keep us from being us and those people? Lord, inside the church and outside of the church. So may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and give you peace. Let's stand and sing. This is the air I breathe. 